Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Good evening. My name is Joy Livingston. I'm taking over for Stevie tonight. She is uh, presently in Napoli. She is, she wanted to be here and she may actually, oh, there she is. But her internet is very spotty at the moment. Um, so she may, she may cut in and, and uh, take over at any time. <laughs> but um, yeah, she's actually discovering the best pizzas in, uh, in the South at the moment and uh, making tons of awesome videos that will go up on our Mama Jumbo Shrimp YouTube channel and on our podcast. I realize I, I, this is not that, but you know, thought I would give it some PR because actually the videos are really awesome. I saw them today. So today's clubhouse on the uh, ambassador's corner is going to be Amy Azrin, who is going to be interviewing Isabella Odero. And this is a space where wine lovers and ambassadors all around the world um, can essentially, you know, pick somebody they really want to interview and they can they can use this space to talk to them and connect with them and provide, you know, a learning space for everybody who's listening. So it's really great. And also these sessions are recorded and they will uh, be released on the Italian uh, Wine Podcast in the coming week. Now, I'm sure that there are other um, items I am supposed to say at the beginning, but I know that um, I've got my, my buddy Laika here, who is going to definitely help me out later if there's anything important I've missed. And Amy, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Hi, Amy. How's it going? Hi. Great. How are you? <laughs> Good. Okay, so I'm just going to give you a, a real quick uh, intro here, and then I'm going to let you introduce Isabella, and then I'll, I'll go away. But uh, just there's a couple questions I have to ask you first, because, of course, Stevie loves to talk about learning objectives and things like that. So I know that, and stop me if I've got anything wrong here, but you're one of the three members of the Piedmont Guide, a national mm-hmm. importer of artisanal wines from the region of Piemonte in northern Italy. And you're uh, represented across North America by its most qualified, passionate distributors. Um, and you're also a, de- a, demand, a wine consultant for the wine and spirits industry. Um, and, you know, you've, you've, gosh, you've done a lot of stuff. <laughs> I can see that right now. This is very long. Um, you launched your own box wine named Sandy Giovese. And yeah. uh, you, that's awesome. You recently worked for the Italian Trade Agency in New in the New York office um, as the manager of the Wine Desk. Gosh, uh, just so much. And I, I'm going to skip to the end because yeah, you know, to the you're end. Grad, yeah, you're a graduate <laughs> of the University of Chicago. You're of course of an Italy Academy ambassador. Um, wow, and a WSET Advanced Certified holder. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of stuff here, um, and you are uh, from Connecticut. Uh, do you do you currently live in Connecticut? I live in uh, Brooklyn. I live in New York City. Okay, is it cold there? <laughs> uh, you know, actually, no. We're having uh, a nice day today. It's uh, 
it's it's killing it's it's been unseasonably warm so oh, okay yeah <laughs> well i'm going to i'm going to get to the good part now um tell yeah. me why did you choose isabella to interview so, tonight yeah um i chose isabella um you know with full disclosure number 1 uh i am honored to represent the odero family in the us or in north america uh with the Piedmont guys so uh, you know, number one, we we have this uh, professional relationship, commercial relationship, but um, also, uh, you know, Odero is uh, one of the most historic producers of uh, Barolo. Um, their history extends uh, over 200 years. Um, there is, uh, they work in so many different um, vineyards and crews and, and incredibly important crews uh, in in the Lange. Um, and, uh, you know, all of that coupled with the fact that um, Isabella is a great person to talk to. Uh, she is a great conversationalist. Uh, she uh, really um, embodies the history of this estate and um, her passion for what she does is important. So, um, you know, there's a lot of elements here that can, uh, you know, really facilitate um, a pretty in-depth conversation. Awesome. Okay. And so, you know, with that in-depth conversation, um, what, what kind of things do you think we're going to learn from, from this? Like, what are the learning objectives that we can expect? Sure. I mean, certainly, uh, you know, we can get a really interesting sort of historical perspective on uh, the Lange from Isabella because of the history of her family's estate. Um, but I also think that, um, you know, Isabella's young. Uh, she's a, a woman working in a, a, an industry that's been dominated by men. And I think that she can really speak uniquely to sort of the future of uh, of the Lange, of um, of Barolo, of uh, women working in that area, um, and I think we also have an opportunity because of the wines that they produce to talk in depth about some of these specific crews. Uh, and I know that as Vinitaly ambassadors, we all love to talk about dirt. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, she is, uh, you know, really well-versed in talking about some of the classic soil types of um, particularly the Barolo and Barbaresco areas. Awesome. Okay. Um, well, without further ado, Isabel, Isabella, are you, are you there? Ciao, I'm here. Hi. Buonasera. Okay. So Buonasera. I'm going to, I'm going to stop talking now. And at the end, I will uh, probably, uh, if there's time, because sometimes there really isn't, um, uh, do a question and answer uh, period with, with the, uh, with the guests. Okay. Great. Go ahead, uh, Amy. Okay. Uh, hi, Isabella. <laughs> Ciao, Amy. Nice to Ciao to everybody. Thanks. Thank uh, you. Thank you for having for me. It's today. a honor. Yeah. So, um, Isabella, I think, um, you know, a lot of people uh, in the wine world are familiar with your winery and many people have had the opportunity to meet you. Um, I know uh, that you've been working in the estate now uh, most of your career. Uh, I know you, you know, went out and lived in Milan for a bit. I know you've studied at the classic, um, you know, high schools uh, and you know, done a, a few other things outside of the wine world, but um, that this is where you are today. Uh, and, you know, we're really excited to talk about your estate. Um, I will say that um, you are an amazing representative for your family. Um, and it's also my pleasure to know you as a person. Um, 
You are not just uh, a member of this winery and this family. You are a mom. Uh, your wife. You're you're a busy lady. So um, let's get into the conversation about uh, Odero. Um, like I said, I think a lot of people are familiar with uh, your estate, but let's just uh, dig in a little bit to the history of Odero and um, you know how how we got to today. Yes, uh, thank you a lot, uh, Amy, for such a wonderful presentation of me. Uh, it's a honor to be with you uh, now, today, and uh, sharing this conversation. Uh, as you said, yes, uh, I started uh, to work at my family estate uh, in 2007, and uh, I've been working side by side with my aunt, uh, Christina, since then. Uh, I have to say that uh, I am proud to belong to one of the oldest families in our region in the Lange area for the production of uh, Barolo wine. So we do not have uh, a precise year when uh, the business was established, when we started uh, our production, but we made a quite precise research some years ago and we found notarial deeds and some parish acts that uh, take us back to the end of 1700s. So this was the moment when my family uh, built the house when we still, where we still live and where we still have the cellar where we age our wines and we vinificate our wines. And then a few years later, they uh, started to cultivate uh, some of uh, our local grapes uh, and started the production of the first wines which, of course, in the first moment, uh, uh, the wines, they were mostly dedicated to the um, local consumption for our family and for the local families. But then, uh, starting from the mid of 1800s, uh, um, things started to change a lot. And uh, wine production became the focus of all energies of the, of the family. And I have to say that uh, um, if I look back and I think of the history of my family and the territory, I can find uh, two people, two personalities of my family that really are very important and made uh, some crucial decisions that completely changed uh, the, the years after and the, the, had important consequences on the future uh, and the history of, uh, of the company. Uh, the first man uh, is um, the grandfather of my grandfather, and uh, he was the very first one to uh, battle Barolo with uh, our family name on the label. This happened mm -hmm. in uh, 1878. So at the moment, there were very few wineries in our region, and uh, he had a, a very brilliant idea to battle the wine. So instead of simply selling the wine in bulk, like it was used at the time, he started to bottle the wine and he put our family name on the label in 1878. So he was the one who designed the Odero logo and the label we are still using today. He was, uh, uh, I have to say, a very smart and avant-garde entrepreneur because he understood the quality of the wine uh, aged in the battle was much better 
for offering more complexity with the time. And so it started from that moment to have more requests also from Genova, Milano, so outside of the borders of the region. And thanks to that, uh, um, year after year, we started to have some requests. We, we still have uh, some invoices of wine sold in battles to Zurich, to London. And uh, of course, uh, uh, all the energies of the family uh, started to be more and more concentrated in having more consistency and more quality in the vineyards. He also was one of the first vine growers uh, in, in our area to use sulfur in the, in the vineyards to treat against the oidium. Oidium is a problem, a big problem still today, uh, also because temperatures are uh, increasing and so we still have to deal with the oidium. And uh, um, he, he understood that sulfur could be a, a good way to, to limit the damages of this disease that at the time really used to jeopardize the production and destroy the production. And so he, together with the help of the priest of La, Ma La Morra, who was in contact with the priest of Catania, they were able to uh, have the sulfur from Sicily all the way to Piemonte and uh, have it access uh, and use it in, in La Morra for uh, taking care of the vines. Um, so he, he really uh, was a, a man who understood quality and uh, thanks to his uh, management, to his decisions, we were one of the first producers to, to have our Barolo with our family name represented in Europe. That's a fantastic um, story. So essentially, thanks to the church, sulfur was introduced into the vineyards of Piedmont in order to manage powdery mildew. That's fantastic. Yes, That's yes. Fantastic. And with, with yes. Sicilian sulfur, nonetheless, right? And where did the, these, the sulfur, I think it came from volcanoes. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yes, from uh, <laughs> volcanoes. In, That's pretty cool. In, in Sicily. <laughs> but it is funny how, to how note that know, uh, how did they know to use sulfur against this um, this mildew probably it was uh, they they wrote read some uh, some books uh, or had some correspondence some uh, letters with yeah. experts in France <laughs> so uh, yeah That's and and, but it was uh, very funny to note that the church, uh, of course, still today is a very important uh, institution in Italy, but in the past, they really could make things happen. Yeah. And they could really help a lot and mm -hmm. change uh, things. So uh, it was an important help. And also in the past, the church used to be owner of most of the vineyards that then with right. the time were uh, gradually released to private families. Yeah, and the second person that really changed completely the source of my family is my grandfather. They share, they have uh, the common name because uh, the, both of them are named Giacomo. Giacomo is a very important name for my family. Most mm -hmm. of the boys of the family are all Giacomos. Okay. And uh, he, um, <laughs> yeah, not big fantasy <laughs> with the name. Makes it, makes it easy. And, uh, <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he, he, he and his brother, they lost their father uh, for a disease just few years after the Second World War. At that moment, the Lange area was completely different to the reality that we know today. Uh, because uh, this was a really hard moment of uh, uh, deep poverty. This is not. Mm-hmm. This was not an area with industries, and the people they were really starving. So the generation who survived the war, most of the young boys, the, the families, they moved to to um, bigger cities to find jobs in the industries. But they stayed with the family. They continued to invest in our territory. And uh, my grandfather understood the potentials of our region. Uh, He um, started uh, to buy, and little by little with the years, starting from the 50s till the 80s, some of the most important vineyards we are lucky to own today and to to work with. So he really understood... uh, um, the future. He saw the future. He had a vision of the region many years before other people did. And so he selected with a lot of care some of the most important and historical vineyards. Uh, that Those vineyards, they were already planted at the time. And they were already planted for specific reasons, because they really were the best sori. Sori mm-hmm. is a Piedmontese word, um, which means uh, sunny sites. So the best exposure, the best positions of the hills. And um, he was lucky to be able to select some of them. And he wanted to look for diversities. So he wanted to, um, to look for vineyards that uh, had different characteristics, different altitudes, different exposures and um, different soil compositions. And, so, and Isabella, was this to- also because at the time... Uh, you know, he was really thinking of of making wines that were blends of different vineyard sites more so than the single vineyard bottlings. Yeah, exactly. So he didn't have the single vineyards in his mind. Um, absolutely, he's a very traditional Barolo classico man. He uh, always wanted to look for differences but with the purpose of blending the grapes with different characteristics, but complementary characteristics together. In, and so to have the, the Barolo Classico, which is the original Barolo, the, the, the first philosophy, how Barolo was born. Right. And um, in the original property was all located in La Morra village. This is where we have the winery. This is the first uh, the, the first village where we, we used to own the, the most historical vineyards. But in the um, late 60s, he bought Rocche di Castiglione. Mm. So in Castiglione Falletto, in the center of the Barolo area. And this was a big decision and a big risk. Because you can imagine at the time, um, the harvest season was so much different than today. It was much uh, more uh, risky to, uh, to go all the way to Castiglione if you had to pick the grapes uh, in a short time. It was harder right. and more because expensive. At, at this time, um, yeah, at this time you had, you had vineyards only in La Mora, right? Yeah, yes. Okay. Before the mid of the 60s, all our belongings, all the vineyards were in, in La Mora. 
and in the in the Barbaresco area, where we have some vineyards for the production of Barbaresco. Mm -hmm. uh, only later, uh, starting from the mid of the 60s, uh, he uh, bought Castiglione Falletto, Rocche di Castiglione, the very first vineyard outside of the borders of La Morra. And uh, mm -hmm. from that moment, uh, he acquired other vineyards uh, in Castiglione. This is where we have the major part of our vineyards planted with Nebbiolo to have Barolo. Monforte d'Alba, Serra Lunga d'Alba, and uh, later uh, Neve for uh, Gallina Barbaresco, uh, and, and then also in uh, Vinchio for the production of Barbera d'Asti. So this is uh, his path uh, of uh, acquisitions. And they were all planned by his vision, together with his brother Luigi. Mm. That's amazing. And, and and just so we're clear, his brother Luigi now has uh, his own estate, right? So I, I, I always I often see yeah. a little bit of confusion, even on the level of wine lists and such. Uh, but there are two uh, Odero estates, essentially, and you are Paul Didi uh, Odero, which is the original estate. Uh, Luigi yeah. Odero is your uh, grandfather's brother who Uncle. now has uh, another estate. Uncle, forgive me. Yeah, yeah, no, it's okay. correct. So what you said, yes. I just want to make sure everybody's clear that there, there, there's two, so we don't have any confusion, and that you guys are the, uh, as we say, OG Odero, <laughs> the original. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thank you for right. this. Yes. So yeah, um, I am very uh, proud. I mean, I, I am very lucky. I, uh, I know that we are lucky because we have the opportunity to work today with uh, very important vineyards uh, and uh, different characteristics uh, in, in the soil especially. Uh, we are owners today of 35 hectares of vineyards and uh, about 19 are planted with Nebbiolo grape giving life to Barolo wine. So Barolo for my family is not only the most prestigious wine but really the most uh, important wine in terms of volume it's really the heart of our production i once heard a i heard a uh, a fun anecdote um i think it was it was davide rosso who told me this story that um that your grandfather was almost happier in the orchards with with the fruit mm -hmm. right with other the, the, rather than the vines that, that his passion was mo more in the orchards than than for the vines and obviously now today you guys are you know really focused on on your vines um is, yeah. is this a true story yeah yeah because he worked together with uh, his brother luigi and uh, luigi was really the guy who was in charge of the cultivation of the vines and the production of the wines uh, my grandfather i think was more the the mind the, the behind uh, all the decisions but he has this passion for uh, different we used to have much more fruit trees in the past than we have today mm -hmm. and so he was in charge of it uh, as a passion that's great. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, I they were that. a good team. Yeah, working side by side. Yeah, that's great. So um, you know, I want to, if if you if you're ready for it, I'd love to dig in a little bit. Um, you know, we can talk about your farming and uh, vinification a little bit after, but I'd love to talk a little bit about some of these crews because you know you really do uh, work in. I mean, Roque di Castiglione. Uh, Vigna Rionda, Brunate. I mean, these are 
are some of the most important vineyards uh, in all of Barolo by far. And the fact that you cultivate and bottle each one of them individually is, you know, pretty remarkable um, for any <laughs> estate to do. So, um, and I think the story of how you, you know, you bought them, we talked about Roque di Castiglione, which was one of your first. Um, so maybe let, let's think about, you know, the vineyards as you've bought them um, and, and talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what what you bring out of these vineyards. What are the characteristics that these uh, vineyards give you? Um, and, you know, which all goes back to the soil that they're planted in. So, you know, let's maybe think about it starting in La Morra, where you guys have your, you know, cellar and which is your, you know, home home village. So yeah. Yeah, um, so in La Mora we own, of course, many different parcels. So, um, first of all, I, want, I would like to explain that our property is extremely fragmented. Uh, we own many small, tiny parcels, uh, um, very diversified, so in many different villages. Uh, in La Mora we have several vineyards. Um, I can mention Brico Chiesa and Capalot. They are two vineyards, very important, some of the most historical for us. Uh, but the fruits, the grapes, they are blended together to produce our Barolo Classico, so the, the blend Barolo uh, like in the past. And uh, we uh, own also a very tiny parcel, uh, 0.45 hectares in Brunate. And Brunate certainly is uh, um, the most prestigious and historical vineyard in La Morra village. And um, we produce uh, Brunate as a single vineyard. We started in 2004 uh, with the production of uh, Brunate as a crew, but the vineyard was bought in the 70s. So before mm. all the fruits, they were blended in the Classico because my grandfather, he was much more oriented into the philosophy of the Classico. And only recently we started to produce single vineyards. Brunate is a beautiful uh, vineyard, a vertical crew, so starting from uh, the top of the hill till the bottom. And our parcel is right at the top, in the highest part, so a high elevation. It's the highest vineyard we own. It's about 390 meters above sea level, so it's a very fresh uh, microclimate. Probably this one is the one that had the strongest benefit from global warming because in the past it was a little bit harder to uh, to have the perfect ripening. But uh, yeah, but with recent uh, years, uh, this is really really improving a lot and it's giving the most uh, beautiful and interesting results. Um, a characteristic Brunate is part of La Morra, so it's part of the area in Barolo which is called the Tortoni that um, uh, is a kind of soil which is, uh, of course, the soil we have in, in the Lange Hills is a sedimentary soil, a very old geological formation which comes derives from um, the disappearing of the Mare Padano, the Padano mm -hmm. Sea. So there used to be the sea that 16 millions of years ago in the Miocenic era disappeared and uh, what we have uh, now is different substrates of different elements which are very tightly uh, stratified and uh, we have what we call the marl so the gray blue marl or the white marl uh, which is a composition of uh, silt 
of uh, sand, clay, and calcareous deposits. But all these elements, they can change a lot depending on the position, on the area, on the geological um, age. And uh, in La Mora, right. we have so this a, is, a higher Isabella, presence just to be of... Clear, sorry to interrupt you. So this, yeah. we're talking now about Tortonian soil, uh, specifically the Marne di Santa Agata, right? I'm, I'm looking yes. at you know, a Masvaghetti uh, map right now, just so I can you know, keep, keep this clear. Yeah. So these are uh, marl soils, right? So limestone, and you're saying that there's two types that are, one is more of a white soil and one's more blue. Yeah, exactly. So the Santagata fossili marl is what is typical in uh, starting from the northern part of uh, the Barolo region, so Verduno, mm -hmm. La Morra, uh, and then going to the south with Barolo and Novello. And um, this is the marl which we can find and we can see in Brunate soil and uh, uh, has a higher presence of sands compared to the other region of Barolo, which is uh, the elevation soil. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a little bit complicated to explain uh, because there are so many complexities uh, in, in the elements. But this is the Tortonian area is a little bit younger than the elevation area. The elevation area is the eastern border of Barolo region, so Serra Lunga d'Alba, a part of Castiglione Falletto and um, a part of Monforte d'Alba. Right, and that's also, uh, in known as, da... also known as Formazione di Lequio, correct? Esatto, especially uh -huh. Serra Lunga, we can see the, these, uh, the sedimentary soil and white marls called the Formazione di Lequio. And uh, we have a harder kind of uh, soil, harder rocks, with a higher presence of limestone, calcareous deposits, very dry and poor soil. It's an ancient geological formation. There is a quite an important, significant difference in terms of age of, uh, of, uh, of the soil. So from Serra Lunga to La Morra, uh, about five to seven millions of years of difference. Mm. And these differences you can uh, immediately see uh, when touching the soil and seeing the, the, the shape and the color of the soil. Uh, the soil in Serra Lunga, where we have Vigna Rionda, uh, has the same mineral residuals that they found in the mountains, in the Alps. So mm. probably they really have the same age with, of the Alps. Uh, and they are, yeah, less clay, less sands, higher presence of calcareous deposits in Serra Lunga, a, a part of Monforte and Castiglione Falletto, compared to the other villages I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, sorry. <laughs> so I was just going to, so am, am I correct? In, I mean, so of your wines, or, and really of the zone, it, it's almost as if there's, you know, it, more commonly you find vines in the Marne di Santa Agata, right? In these Tortonian soils. So little rare yeah. the, the number of vineyards or the amount of vines planted in the older Formazione di Lequio or even in the um, the Arenari di Diano, which we haven't really talked about much yet. Um, those are a little bit more rare overall. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We have the Vigna Rionda, uh, the, which really is a Formazione di Lequio. Uh, as I said, the soil is... Uh, completely white during summertime. Uh, it is so white, it almost shines with yeah. the sunlight. 
and um, very, very, very poor. Yeah, very, very dry and poor. And of course, over there, the vines, they they are quite stressed for the water shortage because uh, water is not penetrating in the soil. So um, they have more difficulties and they are more stressed and they naturally produce a little bit less, but with a um, higher concentration. Mm-hmm. So the, the wine, which comes from uh, this kind of soil, um, is generally a more austere expression of Barolo with uh, more important tanning contains and um, more important structure. You need to be a little bit patient and wait for it because, right. uh, yeah, when it's young, it's a little bit tighter, but has a very long life and beautiful elegance and complexity in the aromatic spectrum. Right, and this is why uh, you bottle Vigno Rionda only as a Reserva. Yes, yes, because this is the wine you really need to be uh, passionate with and, and wait for it. Uh, and uh, when we release the wine, it is always so young with many years in front. I mean, uh, Vigna Rionda can really represent the idea we have of Barolo, the king of the wines and the wine for the kings. Um, yeah, this is yeah. a wine that can uh, age forever. Yes. At what point? When did and you? Mo- when did you first? When did you acquire Vigna Rionda? And when did it become a Reserva? So Vigna Rionda was one of the last acquisitions done by my grandfather. The vineyard was bought in uh, 1985, mm-hmm. and um, it was uh, produced as a single vineyard uh, that vintage, and then later in uh, 1989. But it was just a regular Barolo when my grandfather and his brother were in charge. So it was my aunt's Christina idea to um, age a little bit longer the wine in the um, oak barrel and especially to give uh, extra time in the bottle to the wine before release on the market. So we started to have it as a Reserva from 2008. One vintage, thanks to Cristina, and uh, uh, it became a 10 years reserva from 2006. Awesome. <laughs> but okay. today, so today you're releasing, yeah, yeah you're releasing what, these wines. Uh, I think 2012 is technically your current release. Is that right? Yes, yes. Yeah. So we mm-hmm. because the vintages are so different. Of course, they are changing so much every year. It's completely different expression from the other. We do not have uh, one fixed rule for the Reserva. Vignerionda is always a Reserva, but uh, we decide, tasting the wine many times and knowing the character of the wine, uh, when to be- when is best to release the wine. So sometimes it's an eight years Reserva, sometimes it's a 10 years Reserva. It depends really a lot on the vintage characteristics. Right. Okay. I want to make sure that we uh, talk a little more also about, um, you know, you and your Aunt Christina and and some of the sort of changes in the future of the estate. So, um, you know, I do also want to point, I would like you to just give us the quick uh, description of Busia that you make because uh, Vigna Mondoca. Uh, and I know the rules have changed yeah. around this word. So in terms of how this bottle will be seen labeled over the years, can you give us a, a quick little tutorial on that? 
<laughs> yeah, sure. So uh, with the Consortio Barolo Barbaresco some years ago in 2010, the menzioni geografiche aggiuntive were approved uh, by law with uh, disciplinary and legislation. So there are 166 different menzioni geografiche. Menzione geografica means in Italian single vineyard selection and the rules for the single vineyard were defined in 2010. So they delimited the vineyard and they established the rules for the labeling and naming of the, of the crews of the single vineyards. And so uh, Busia, um, it's a very large vineyard today. Our parcel is located in um, in the Bussia Soprana, so on, on the label in the past, it was written Bussia Soprana, Vigna Mondoca. Today is just Bussia, so the only name allowed is Bussia. Vigna Mondoca is our own parcel, and this is a monopole because it's like a vineyard inside a vineyard, and it's only owned by my family. And we are in Piampolvere Soprana, so in, in Piampolvere and on top of Dardle mm -hmm. Rose, just to give you an indication because Bossia is quite large. Yeah. Yeah, this is a beautiful aristocratic Barolo, a beautiful vineyard, a full south exposure, quite a warm vineyard, but a good uh, elevation. And the soil is quite similar to the Vignarionda one uh, because uh, it's very dry and rich with uh, calcareous deposits. Probably this is the, the driest soil we have. Mm, interesting. Fascinating. Okay. I also want to point out that, of course, you are in Barbaresco. You make uh, a Barbaresco Galina, you know, which is one of the top crews of Barbaresco, certainly one of the top of Neve, the village. Um, yeah. Then you also uh, started making not too long ago, you adventured up to Asti and you're making a Nizza, a Barbera d'Asti that has become now Nizza DOCG. Can you give us a yeah. quick little description of that? Because that's a fun little uh, evolution at the estate. Yeah, yeah. This was the very last uh, acquisition realized by my grandfather in the beginning of 1990s. And uh, he always had a lot, um, true passion for, uh, for Barbera. Uh, this is why we have in some of the most important positions in Barolo, so very important crews like Villero, Rocca di Castiglione, we have some rows planted with Barbera. So when everybody, of course, produces in a Violo, Barolo, single vineyard, we produce also Barbera from Rocca di Castiglione and Villero. Mm -hmm. Because um, this really was his uh, true love and passion. And so when uh, he was offered to buy a small vineyard in uh, Vincio d'Asti, mm -hmm. uh, in uh, the Barbera d'Asti area, which is now Nizza DOCG, he didn't think twice and immediately bought the vineyard. And it's um, quite strange because generally it's producers from Asti who go all the way to Barolo to cultivate Nebbiolo and produce Barolo. In, in this case, it's uh, we, we live from La Mora and we go all the way to Vincchio to grow Barbera there. Mm. But this is a beautiful vineyard, a very old vines, uh, steep vineyard, narrow rows and a spe special terroir for Barbera. The new project of the Nizza, we immediately uh, took part uh, in it and we agreed. Uh, it's, um, I have a good expectation. I think uh, this is an area with huge potentials. So there is a great uh, 
relation price and quality and they are working very well to establish new uh, laws and limits to improve the quality of the area. So we will see for sure in the future beautiful results. I, I, we, we support a lot of the project. Yeah, we are it's a great, and it, I know it's yeah. an old vineyard, uh, very tight spacing. It's a difficult vineyard to work in, so it's obviously a, a labor of love. I recently tasted this. Um, <laughs> I was tasting this with Richard Hanauer, who's, you know, directs the RPM restaurants in Chicago. And we had all these amazing wines on the table, and he tastes this one last, and he's like, you know, this was not supposed to be the best wine in the lineup. He's like, but I love this wine. Like he just, <laughs> you know, there was Nebbiolo on the table and everything. And he loved this wine. Uh, it's so complex and so powerful, really, which is re impressive. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a beautiful gastronomic wine to beautiful with food and beautiful evolution. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the one wine that I can take around and show people to, you know, get people to understand your estate because we always have so little of the Nebbiolo to sell, you know, it's always sold out. So um, let's talk a little bit about uh, both how you work in your in your vineyards, because this is important because uh, you've now been uh, certified organic for quite a long time. Um, yeah. And and I recently listened to. Um, I listened, I went back and listened to your interview with Levy Dalton from 2013. And I, I, I couldn't believe that it was actually that long ago because I remembered yeah. the interview and I went, oh my God, that was so long ago. So now yeah. you have so much more history with um, farming organically and everything. So let's dig in a little bit to how you work in the vineyards and then we can talk a little bit about vinification. Yeah, I have to say that um, we realized a lot of improvements in our agronomic practices and they are all thanks to uh, the view of my aunt, Christina. So she's responsible of our production. She started, her first vintage was 1996. She was working with my grandfather and with Luigi. Uh, and then starting with 2004 vintage, she was uh, in charge and uh, she, she finally, after some difficulties with around family, which is quite normal mm -hmm. in the generational uh, shift, she was finally in charge and able to make her, her choices. She introduced the organic cultivation and we did it gradually. So starting with uh, some vineyards in La Mora, the, the ones that uh, are the closest ones uh, to our winery, because we wanted to be serious. So we wanted to be certi certificated, so to uh, obey to um, a disciplinary and to, uh, to be, of course, able to uh, have uh, the good quality. Uh, and uh, it is not so easy to be organic in Piemonte. Uh, it's a different uh, microclimate than other regions in, uh, in Italy and in Europe, but we all need to respect the same limits. So uh, there are difficulties in the organic cultivation, for sure. Um, we uh, learned through experience. We are very happy uh, with uh, our results. Now it's been uh, many years because uh, she started the conversion in 2007. Mm. So the whole property is now organic uh, farmed. Um, we also um, have a lot of interest in the biodynamic philosophy, so we cannot declare ourselves as biodynamic producers, we are not, but uh, we share common points with the biodynamic philosophy, especially concerning the care of the soils 
So mm-hmm. um, every year alternating rows in some vineyards when where there is need of, we do the sovesho. So we plant the, um, the seeds. Legumes uh, and flowers, like, yeah. Exactly, herbal essence uh, uh, to improve the biodiversity of the soil, to enrich the soil, uh, green manure, of course, only if it is needed. And today, you know, every single operation needs to be uh, tailor-made, not just vineyard per vineyard, but sometimes row per row. I mean, uh, first part of the vineyard can be completely different than the, the the lowest part of the vineyard. Mm-hmm. So all the operations are so much personalized. And uh, I think that uh, she introduced the many, many details of care. Uh, and uh, today with the new challenges that uh, we have to face because of the general uh, changes in the climatic conditions, um, the use of synthetic products, they absolutely are negative for um, for the biodiversity of the soil and for uh, the resilience of the vines. So uh, this, the future is, of course, uh, for everybody, I think, uh, um, a responsible and sustainable uh, farming method. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely uh, a huge, it's a huge undertaking to farm uh, organically in Piedmont. Um, and with 35 hectares, that's a, a remarkable undertaking. Um, yeah. Tell us a little and there about... Are difficulties. Yeah, your vinification. How do you work in the in the winery? And I mean, I guess we can focus a little bit on on the Nebbiolo because I think that's you know going to be the most complex. Yeah. So I was uh, raised by my family. What I learned from my grandfather and from my aunt uh, is that, of course, uh, quality comes from the grapes. So quality is made in the vineyards. So for us. Uh, 95% of our investments, of our cost, it all happens in the vineyards. Uh, in the cellar, mm, you can ruin what you do in the vineyards. So we mm-hmm. we try not to. Uh, just uh, This is, of course, uh, um, a strong sentence to say. I just mean that uh, um, we try to be very, very careful and very delicate. So our hand is uh, to be uh, not aggressive at all. So to be so much respectful of the raw material, of the natural characteristics of our indigenous grapes, and of course, especially of Nebbiolo, which is such an extraordinary grape able to express all the differences we have in our in our vineyards and we want to exalt the differences so we don't want our hand to be um, aggressive or important in 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 the in the vinification um, we um, use a new machine that we acquired in 2018 which is a destemming machine but it is not a crushing machine so we remove very carefully the green part, the stems. We um, we very carefully avoid the stems to break inside. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, we have whole berries. So a lot of control and respect of the integrity of the berries. The berries are not crushed. They are moved, transported uh, into the tanks or into the tiny, most all the single vineyards, Barolo, we have all different wooden tiny for the single vineyards. 
And we have uh, um, alcoholic fermentation with whole berries. So we do not crush them, okay? Mm -hmm. And the alcoholic fermentation uh, luckily uh, generally starts uh, naturally, so with no need to add any selected yeast, so with natural yeast. Uh, we just um, have temperature control, but uh, this means that we just avoid the temperature to go over 30, 32 Celsius degrees. So if it's too high, we lower it. Otherwise, we don't control it. It's natural. And we do uh, just uh, one, two pumping overs, uh, depending on the vineyards, depending on our decisions uh, in to have stability of temperature and to oxygenate a little bit. So our uh, maceration contact with the skin is generally very long, like it was in the past. We didn't change at all the philosophy. So it can be from 25 days to 28 to 30 days. Some vineyards, like Villero, uh, we do the old technique, the submerged cap technique, maceration, so, and uh, we can have uh, 60, 65 days because we just uh, um, uh, rack, uh, is racking. We just had the racking uh, like mm -hmm. 10 days ago with our Villero one week okay. ago. <laughs> yeah. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah. So, yeah. You, so are you using submerged cap on all of the uh, Baroli? No, just for uh, Villero and uh, with Bricco Chiesa because okay. the vineyards are a little bit uh, uh, larger vineyards and so they allow us the, to, to do a correct submerged cap. Ah. Um, yeah. And, all and the then other you're using exclusively... Uh, right. And so I think this is actually really, this one point I just want to clarify, the whole berry. So you're destemming with this machine that's a very gentle destemming and then your whole yeah. berries are going into a fermentation tank and you're never actually crushing the berries, right? You're, uh, you're exactly. allowing them to really crush themselves in a way. Exactly. This is very important for us because we think that the complexity really comes from the integrity of the skin. So, of course, you need to have a very ripe and healthy right. grape to do so. And um, we want to preserve the, the whole berries and have a very slow and gradual natural maceration and crushing naturally without right. the machine. So we do not crush them. Yeah. Okay. And, and Isabella, I want to make sure we talk about you uh, specifically a little bit. So just to, um, for the, to end the vinification uh, topic, you then, uh, all, the, all the wines age exclusively in large barrels, right? You lose 25 hectoliter barrels. You have a lot of beautiful Stockinger barrels in the winery. Yeah, um, I yeah. Think that's important. Yeah, we use uh, only big barrels. Of course, we have different sizes, different capacities because we have so many different vineyards with different production. Uh, we use mostly Austrian oak, so we use Stockinger. My aunt Christina, she was one of the first producers in the area to start using Stockinger in 2001. So we have yeah, they're, they're like the they're like the Ferrari of, of barrels. <laughs> yeah, they are quite expensive. Yeah, yeah. And of course, very high quality. Uh, and we have the big barrels for the Barolo Classico, so 100 uh, hectoliter, uh, 10,000 liter barrels. 
and um, 60 hectoliter, uh, 40 hectoliter for the smallest vineyards, 25 uh, hectoliter. Yes. Okay. We also use a little bit of French oak. We started in 2004, but uh, it France? is What's never. France? <laughs> yeah, just a little bit, but uh, um, never new oak, of course. For right. the Nebbiolo, we never use Nebbiolo with a new barrel. Fantastic. Yeah. All right, Isabella, I just want to, because this is a, a very little amount of time to talk about what is, I think, one of the most important things about your winery, which is uh, you and your aunt Christina. Um, you know, Christina, it has really um, brought this winery into the new era. I think that, you know, without her intervention, uh, you know, the wines just continue to receive greater accolades and greater attention. Uh, and I think mm -hmm. that's recognized by everybody. How do you see yourself as um, the future of the estate? How are you going to carry on basically this amazing legacy that Christina has really handed off to you as, you know, the female heir to this estate? Yeah, I have to say she really was one of the first pioneers uh, in our area, uh, the first, uh, one of the first women in the region uh, to be finally responsible for the production. So when she started uh, in the 90s, it was not easy at all, at all for her. She had uh, some difficulties with her own family and uh, with our older employees. Today, the scenario is completely different, and luckily there are so many uh, girls and women extremely talented. Uh, I, I have to say that most of the new wineries, in uh, all the wineries in Barolo and Barbaresco, they are, um, they are managed by women. So uh, this is uh, this now is, this more is girls than men in Barolo. Yeah. Uh, I am learning a lot from her, like I did from my grandfather. And thanks also to the pandemic, I um, I am learning more and more because I have more time. I am uh, traveling a little bit less and focusing yeah. more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is a positive thing because I am really learning in the vineyards and uh, in the cellar. And um, I think uh, I feel a lot uh, the um, responsibility of the um, what uh, I received as a heritage, and of course I try to have my voice in my everyday work. Uh, I acquired awareness of the importance of our region, and I think this is very important to have the awareness of the value of what uh, we are lucky to do. Um, and and so I, I want to respect um, the vineyards and I want to respect the the history uh, I have. That's I'm not love, just talking. The, yeah, it's so great that you know you have yeah, this incredible I, history and this great you know this perspective, but it's also amazing uh, how you guys are really a representative of the future of Barolo, especially with this element of you know this this girl power behind it, which is. Um, which is which is fantastic. Um, and, you know, like we said, when we started this, Isabella, we could have filled hours talking about all of this. I, you know, we could probably do another hour, but our time is up. Um, I think yeah. Joy is, is going to figure we left no time really for questions, but I'm going to I'm going to thank you so much for what was a really interesting conversation. There's so much more we could say. Um, and, you know, hope maybe we'll have that that chance again soon. I know I'll see you in person. So now I have more questions, but I'm going to turn it over to Joy. And, and you know, thank you so much for your Thanks. time today. That was a great chat. Thank you, Amy. Thank and you thank so you, Isabella. Much. 
that was a that was a great uh, interview actually that I was I really enjoyed that and I didn't even notice the time there is in, indeed no time for questions but I should um, I should probably just mention uh, because of the holiday season uh, we're not going to have any live clubhouses in the next few weeks but we we will obviously have these on the podcast so tune into the Italian wine podcast um, for those but. On January 12th, we have a, an interview, Laura Donadoni, who will be interviewing Elisa Di Lavanzo. And on the 13th of January, we have Catherine Stratton interviewing Giulia Monteleone. So, of course, um, I hope you guys tune in for that. And um, I, you know what? Happy holidays. It's, um, you know, it's been a crazy year and uh, I wish you guys all the best. I'm going to, I'm going to close up the room now, guys. And also, Ooh, I forgot Stevie. I know you can't actually talk to us because you're in Napoli, but, um, yeah, I hope that, uh, it's, it's going well down there and you're eating lots of pizzas. She's actually trying out a million different pizzas and she's, she's documenting the whole thing. So all the best to her down there. Laika, I don't know if you can chime in. Are you there? Yeah, I'm still here. I'm still here. So thank you so much, okay. Isabella. Thanks, Amy, and thanks, Joy, for a wonderful interview. Thank you so much yeah. for having thank me. You it's guys. an honor. Sure. Thank you. All right. Yeah, bye, thanks everybody. bye to everybody. Buon Natale. Auguri. Auguri. Thanks, guys. Bye. Auguri. Buon Natale. While you sing, don't forget this testing test. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin-cin. everybody italian wine podcast celebrates its fourth anniversary this year and we all love the great content they put out every day chin chin with italian wine people has become a big part of our day and the team in verona needs to feel our love producing the show is not easy folks hurting all those hosts getting the interviews dropping the clubhouse recordings not to mention editing all the material let's give them a tangible fan hug with a contribution to all their costs head to italianwinepodcast.com and click donate to show your love